Listen. Just listen. I'm Serendipity Theater Collective Company member Rick Walker, and you're listening to Second Story Podcast. Second Story is Serendipity Theater Collective's festival of stories, wine, and music, a collaboration among writers, actors, musicians, and others to create good stories and good times. The stories are written by the performers themselves, sometimes funny, sometimes poignant, always thought-provoking. So uh, give it up for our second story of the evening, Kim Morris. Man, Nick was in my face again, yelling about how I was such a stupid psycho bitch. That was always the default insult for that guy. And so I curled my lip and let out a sarcastic laugh because he was such a fucking dumbass. He couldn't even think of original insults, just the same one over and over. I could tell he was pissed because the vein in his neck was popping out like it was ready to burst. Nick was big, 6'2", easily 200 pounds, thick like a fucking wrestler, blonde hair, blue eyes. I imagined if the vein in his neck actually did burst, it would flood the entire apartment. Now, while the objective, rational thinking part of my brain knew that I should defuse the fight, the win-at-all-costs, vengeful part of my brain wanted to make him feel like shit. As it happened, at that point in our argument, the vengeful part of my brain was the dominant part. And so I said, your mother should have had a fucking abortion. Okay. Now, that's not a very nice thing to say to another human. (laughs) Even if that person is about to kick your ass. And also, saying that to a dude who has 100 pounds on you and a quick right hook is not smart. But at that point in our relationship, I mean, throwing words that slice the other person's heart was the norm. And saying that to Nick was an especially low blow, since his mother used to say that to him all the time. His stepdad, too, until they got into a fight and he beat him with a rolling pin in front of all the neighbors and that's when Nick left home and the last thing his mom said to him was, I should have had an abortion. I watched Nick's face. At first I saw a very quick expression of genuine hurt and vulnerability and then that hurt passed and his jaw set and he narrowed his eyes. Something moved in my peripheral vision, and suddenly his right fist was coming at my face, so I ducked because, huh, fool me once, shame on you, fool me twice, and all that shit. (laughs) But what I didn't anticipate was his left fist, which landed squarely in my right kidney and sent a bolt of pain through my torso, and my knees buckled, and I had to take a huge breath to recover. Nick was standing over me, both fists held tight, waiting for my reaction. I knew I only had a second to make a move, and while I briefly considered running out of our apartment... I nixed that idea and instead took a step back, shot my right leg out from, from the hip, and jammed my heel into his, into his shin. You bitch! He took a step back, and while he was there for a second, I tried to reposition myself so I could trip him. I knew from experience my punches had no effect on him whatsoever. But I wasn't quick enough, and he threw a punch in my face and another one in my stomach, and I couldn't quite recover from that to do anything. And then he said, you are a stupid, psycho bitch. I covered my eye with my hand and realized it wasn't bleeding, but it was going to swell. 
and it fucking hurt like a motherfucker, which sucked because if it hurt when I was all jacked up on adrenaline, it was certainly going to be unbearable in the next day. Brilliantly, I said, come up with something original, you piece of shit. And that's when he hit me in the face again and I was out before I hit the floor. Ironically, I started going out with Nick because when I first met him, he kept me from getting my ass kicked. We were working together at the same messenger company and a group of us went over to his apartment in Humboldt Park after work one night. We sat around drinking and smoking and then decided to go hit two men's. We jumped on our bikes and cruised down, down the street, which just happened to be the dividing line between one pissed off gang and another pissed off gang. And as luck would have it, that night, the two pissed off gangs were doing the gang equivalent of first person who blinks loses. Us riding through that was kind of like dancing down the middle of the Soul Train line, except we were on bikes and there was no music and Don Cornelius was nowhere to be found. I was having trouble getting my foot into the toe strap of my pedal, which slowed me down. And as I watched all my coworkers fly down the street, I heard a voice from one sidewalk say, let's get them. And soon there was a swarm of tiny gangbangers coming at me. And while they all looked like little kids, their guns did not look like toys. One of them got close enough to me to see my face and hissed, it's a girl. And the other ones hesitated a minute and then started coming towards me again. And then, thank God, I heard Nick's voice from the other side of the swarm of boys. Man, get the fuck out of here and leave her alone. I got my foot in my pedal and hauled ass out of there, so I don't really know what the gangbanger said, but it wasn't until we hit Western that Nick was riding alongside me, asking, you all right? Yeah, I said, except I was scared fucking shitless and trying desperately not to cry. And then I thought about how all the rest of my coworkers just took off like that. And if Nick hadn't come back for me, what would have happened? I don't think if I wasn't already sick of people treating me like shit at that point in my life that I would have even considered going out with Nick. I was three years into a four-year stint as a bike messenger, and what I was tired of was the constant assumption that because of my job, I was a criminal. Security guards always asking me what I stole when my bag was filled with deliveries. Cops who pulled you over like they just busted a major coke trafficker. Prissy receptionist who looked at the bike grease under my fingernails and then tisked. I, was, I felt like I was being shredded by a cheese grater, and what I really wanted was to stop it all and find a soft place to land. So after we got to Tumens that night after the almost gang fight, I took a long look at Nick as he tried to bully the two dudes at the pool table, and I decided he could be my soft place to land. Three months later, we were living together. We found an apartment in Wicker Park, furnished it with bikes, bike parts, and stereo equipment, and we gradually realized that neither one of us liked each other. (laughs) That's a bummer. He thought I was prissy and presumptuous. I thought he was a dumb bully. He didn't like anything I liked. He never smoked out, he rarely drank, he rarely drank. He was always playing the tough guy. He was a DJ, but his claim to fame was waiting until the party was drunk and then playing Come On Eileen by Dexy's Midnight Runners, which the first time was kind of endearing, but the second time was like, geek. Okay, so about a month into our living together, we got into the first of many fights that involved really low blow insults and fists and occasional spitting. That's when he started calling me a stupid psycho bitch. 
I acted like it didn't matter to me because I knew I wasn't stupid. I knew I wasn't psycho, and I really didn't care if he thought I was a bitch. <laughs> Where I'm at now, though, my life 10 years later, I often wonder what it would have taken for me to get rid of Nick from my life. We had gotten into this routine of fucking with each other, and I never pulled out of it long enough to realize that I had the power to stop it and walk away. As it turned out, the thing that made me decide to get rid of Nick was a car crash. I was in the back seat of a small car. Two of my friends were in the front. We were all talking about this party across the street from that ghetto jewel on Milwaukee that was going on that night. We took a curve in the road too fast and drifted into the oncoming lane of traffic. I remember my friends were still talking in calm voices as I watched a pickup truck fill up the windshield. I never felt the impact, only woke up to see blood pooling in the palms of my hands and hearing an EMT on my right side explain to me that I was just in a car accident and could I please stay as relaxed as I could while they got me into the ambulance. At the hospital, the surgeon made corny jokes while he shot me with the anesthesia, then took a, a tiny blowtorch and burned the two halves of flapping skin on my forehead. Once he did that, the bleeding stopped, and he put the stitches in. When I left the hospital, I had a gauze strip plastered across my forehead. The left side of my face was swollen past my nose, and there was this throbbing pain filling up my insides. When I got home from the hospital, Nick wasn't home. I mean, this shouldn't have been a surprise since we were both finding ways to avoid being there. I walked into the bathroom and took a look at myself in the mirror. I thought about that moment during the accident just before I blacked out. How the pickup truck slowly filled up the windshield. Looking at myself in the mirror, in the bathroom, in the apartment I shared with Nick, I realized that there was never gonna be a safe place to land. And because I was naive enough to believe in safety net, to believe in safety nets, I said, stupid psycho bitch. It rolled out of my mouth so easily, it was like nothing. Like I was saying, I need to do my dishes. It would have been a grand gesture worthy of a Western if I had challenged Nick to a fight and last one standing gets the apartment. But I really wanted to get rid of him. So through a series of sly and quiet deals with friends, I eventually set things up so that Nick found another place to stay. And when he told me he was moving out, I think he actually thought the idea was really his. I'm leaving you, Nick said to me in our living room one September afternoon. Okay, Nick, you win. He smiled that terrifyingly fake smile and said, I know that. Since we barely live there anymore, neither one of us had, had much stuff. His shit he grabbed in about 30 minutes. The messenger bag, two gym bags, and his bike. I was planted in my wingback chair by the window, tracking his movement in my peripheral vision. He threw the last of his bags over his shoulder and rolled his bike to the door and then slipped out. I heard his key slide into the lock, and then there was the gentle click. It sounded like an act of grace. Thank you. Second Story Podcast is brought to you by Amanda Delheimer, Megan Steelstra, Christopher Jobson, Miles Pulaski, Mikhail Fixel, and Rick Walker. To find out more about Second Story, the performances, and our performers, visit us at storiesandwine.com. <laughs>